Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of The Journey of Hope. Glad you could be with us today. The Journey of Hope is a podcast that's especially designed to address the issues that men and women face after incarceration. We're going to talk today a little bit about a situation I had where I almost got taken by a telephone scam. You're going to want to hear that. If you're a convicted felon, you need to hear this one. And we're going to look at a study from Harvard, came out about a year ago, and it uh, addresses the issues of recidivism and uh, some interesting things there. You're going to want to hear that as well. We're going to be right back after this. I'm Rodney Mathers, and you're on the Journey of Hope. Love to hear from you. M-A-T-H-E-R-S-R-O-D-N-E-Y at yahoo.com. Drop me a line. Let me know how things are going for you. Welcome back. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this situation where, man, I almost got scammed on a telephone call. And... um It's a scam that targets felons, and here's how it works. I got a phone call, and the guy said that he was from the sheriff's department. And, man, he sounded official, and he had that kind of, I don't know, edge to him. Sounded official to me. And he said that I had signed a certified letter saying that I would go to somewhere and get my DNA retested because... The DNA that they had taken when I was exiting prison, which they do for everyone in the state of Texas, um, that something had gone wrong with that. And so they wanted to retest. He said it was me and about 50 other people in the Houston area that they were going to redo. And um, the guy also said that since I had signed for that letter and had not shown up, that there was an active felony warrant out for my arrest. Okay, so here's where it starts getting interesting. Then the guy started talking about the fact that I could probably make bond and we could get it settled and dismissed if we could show that I had signed, that I did not sign for the letter, which I I hadn't. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Okay, so I start to see red flags when he mission, mentions bond. I don't think the police care about your bond. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've never, except for that one bad thing I did, I've never really had to deal with the police before. And um, it, it seemed to me like they don't, they don't care about whether you bond out or, you know. So, so here we go with the mention of money. And so... While the red flag comes up, he also tells me that he cannot let me off the phone, that it's their policy that I had to stay on the line until I got to the sheriff's department downtown to post bond or to ask to post bond or whatever it is he was telling me to do. And so more red flags come up. While this is going on, I'm able to text my wife and tell her what's going on. And I asked her to call the sheriff's department and ask them if I have a warrant. And she did. And they said, no, 
that there was no warrant. So at that point, I have this guy on the line. He's got me on the line. He thinks I'm going at this point to the sheriff's department, and I'm going to stop off per his directions at a store to get a credit card, a prepaid card <laughs> to, uh, to pay for bond. That's the only way they would accept the bond. So now, you know, I, I'm 100% convinced that it's a scam. So what my wife did is she called the police and the police came and here's what I really want to talk about today as far as the scam goes. When the police got here, he was already filled in on what was going on. And I stepped outside the door and I had the phone in my hand with this crook on the other end. And the cop said, I don't want to talk to him. Hang up. And I'm thinking, you know what? I got the fish on the line here. The guy has impersonated a police officer. He's tried to con me out of money. Um, oh, and by the way, he told me that... The, <laughs> That the, um, that the bond was $35,000 and I would need 10% of that. Okay. So he was really trying to get me. But what I want to talk about today is the fact that I've got this scammer on my phone and the cop didn't seem to really care. In fact, he seemed bothered that we had called and he talked down to me like I was a two-year-old explaining to me that... It was not hard for people to find my public information, um, that these things go on all the time. It was like, I should have known better. And I mean, he's talking to me like, um, why did you even call us? And so I initially, I was kind of upset about that. And I've spent some time thinking about it. And by the way, you know, the policeman was real nice and except for that little part where I felt like he was talking down to me, like I should have known better, whatever. But after a little bit of thinking about this situation, I, I really kind of felt like initially that, um, that what is happening here is he knows my record because it's right there on his screen in the patrol car. And is he treating me different than if, say, my next door neighbor who hadn't been to prison were to call him for, you know, some kind of scam on the phone? Would he have treated him the same way? And that's really what I wanted to kind of throw out there today. And I want to tell you how I came down on this and maybe something you ought to think about, too. Um, just a suggestion now, but... I think that maybe there was nothing he could do. I think that he was bothered by the call because there's nothing he could do. It was a waste of his time. And, you know, even if he were able to talk to guy on the phone, what, what would that have done? He did tell me that um, they spoof, they have an app. These scammers have an app that'll spoof numbers. So they don't even know where the guy's calling from. He's probably calling on a throwaway phone. However that works, I don't know how that works. But so, you know, I'm going to give the police the benefit of the doubt on this one. And I'm going to come down on the side that there was nothing he could do. Um, 
had I come down on the side that he was treating me differently, we'd be having a different conversation right now. I think I would have complained about that to uh, his superiors. But um, I've come down on the side that there just was nothing he could do. And, you know, he didn't say that, though. You know, and that's kind of, eh. So we're going to come down on the side of the police. Listen, I respect the police. Um, just because I've been to prison doesn't mean, and maybe you're like this too, it doesn't mean that I respect the police. I do. But I also um, would like to think that um, should I need them, that they wouldn't treat me differently because I'm a felon. Um, there were hints of that in this situation, but I'm going to let it go. And I suggest just throwing this out there as a thought when you have a situation that you let stuff go to, we're not in prison anymore. We can't get pissed off every time we think that something didn't quite go our way. We can't get pissed off if someone kind of talks down to us a little bit like we would in prison to defend ourselves and to stand up for ourselves. So my point here is this whole idea of sometimes just letting things go. And that's what I've decided to do here. Hey, watch out for that scam. And remember that we're not in prison anymore. It's, uh, it's time to act like society expects us to act, which is without getting pissed off every time something doesn't go our way. Okay? All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this. I'm Rodney Mathers, and you're on the Journey of Hope. Mathers Rodney at yahoo.com, M-A-T-H-E-R-S-R-O-D-N-E-Y at yahoo.com. Hey, do you know somebody that would be a good guest on the show, somebody that could contribute to efforts at reintegration? Um, I'd love to talk to them. Maybe we could put them on. Let me know. Once again, it's Mathers Rodney at yahoo.com. And welcome back. I was skimming through a study that came out about a year and a half ago from Harvard University Institute of Politics, Criminal Justice, their policy group. Um, now, I don't want you to think I sit around reading these studies because I don't. I, occasionally, I'll read one. But you know what? I don't get real into them because I learned early on doing this podcast that they all kind of say the same thing year after year after year after year. And whenever I look at one of these, <clears throat> and by the way, this is not an understudied area. There's tons of studies on reintegration and what is needed and so forth. But whenever I look at one of these, it's the same thing. They, they talk about the need for employment, housing, skill development. And this study was absolutely no different. And I'm wondering, you know, who pays for these studies? It's the same thing. And they always talk about, yeah, they need to have local community, uh, somebody somewhere in the local community helping them with an employment or with employment with housing. Um, but I don't ever see how they expect this to happen. They don't ever say that. But anyway, I know the people mean well, but this study in particular 
says things like community organizations should provide skill development and job placement. Um, hey, <laughs> how are we? Are people supposed to go about doing that? How about some suggestions there? But anyway, so I'm looking through this one, and wow, oh my God, I saw something that I've never seen before. And it has to do with, in the areas of need to be addressed, they included interpersonal skills. Now look, I've been screaming about this since I started doing this podcast 10 years ago. Uh, there's no addressing interpersonal skills at all. And when I, when I say interpersonal skills, I'm talking about anger management, motivational programs, communication skills, relationship skills. And, you know, if you want to know, okay, then why don't I say how to get there from here? Well, how about doing that in prison right before someone's released? And I'm not talking about this garbage they do like in Texas where they show you a film on how you should brush your teeth and comb your hair before you go to a job interview. I'm talking about serious cognitive behavior programs in the prison when people are getting ready to exit and they can target that prison mentality. It's another way of saying targeting unacceptable social behaviors. Um, that's what I mean by that prison mentality. And if you go back to the segment that we just did about the telephone scam, I'm proud of myself because I was able to come down on the side of the policeman in this situation. I would never have done that 10 years ago. But I've worked on these areas, and the way you do it is you address it before people come out of prison. Why don't they do that? This Harvard study shows a correlation between programs that address those areas. They, they have much, much lower recidivism rates where they have programs that do address these areas, and so some of that's being done. But, um, you know... Interpersonal skills, anger management, motivational programs, communication skills, relationship skills, they should all be addressed before release. What else is there to say other than the fact that maybe the policeman we talked about in the first segment could use a little training with that as well? We're going to take a short break, and I'll be right back after this. I'm Rodney Mathers, and you're on the Journey of Hope. You can catch me at MathersRodney at Yahoo.com. Drop me a line. Well, that's all we have time for today. I want to remind you that if God is for you, who can be against you? We'll see you next time right here on The Journey of Hope.